Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Lorgoifs. I'm one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Justin. I'm Bob. I'm Taya. I'm Grace. And we are back with yet another chapter of Ikoria, Sundered Bond Book Club. Oh man, I hope somebody brought Rosé this time because I am out. And uh, the line for Whole Foods is really, really long, friends. How long is it? It's like, well, it's you gotta do the six long. feet. It's a whole lot of long. So you gotta do the six feet in between each group, and they're only letting one person from each party into the Whole Foods. And it is, it's taken a while. I saw one woman go in about three months ago, and I think I just saw her come out with, I think, maybe some Brussels sprouts. <laughs> it's as and, long as um, a chaos some, draft, some let's be honest. Yeah, it is pretty long. Um, so, yeah. You know who you don't have to wait in line for? Our sponsor, Card Kingdom. Oh my goodness, they're so great, and they're so kind, and they're wonderful about shipping. I'm really excited to get my singles from them, especially since Ikoria physical product will be coming out soon. Yeah, you can also get sealed product from them with Ikoria. You can still pre-order it now, and uh, you could use our affiliate link, uh, cardkingdom.com slash So Michelle, this is what you could do the next time you go to Whole Foods. You can order a sealed booster box of Ikoria while in line. And by the time you come out of Whole Foods, uh, it'll be right there waiting for you. And a whole new standard meta will have changed. <laughs> or you can ride your giant cat beast and everyone will just get out of the way. You know what you don't have to wait in line for? Is appreciating our patrons. Yes. Oh my goodness. That I, is a free action. Is a free action. It's also a bonus action if you're ever doing a D&D campaign, Ooh. too. Yeah. It doesn't matter what class you are. You can, at any level, you can take thinking. Our patrons on Patreon is a free action. We'll have to uh, keep that in mind for our next Bloody Nightingale campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to benefit from that free action, you can join at patreon.com slash the And with that, I think let's go ahead and delve right into the next chapter. We've, we've got this all. I've got the papers here. and I think we've got a... Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few of them, but I think we can get through this, right, friends? Yeah. yeah. My pedigree came in. I'm in for it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in us. <laughs> All right, take it away, Grace. Chapter 5. Luca experiences more ambivalence about the cat. On one hand, she looks so soft and warm and fuzzy. On the other hand, she killed several of his red shirts. She's a monster, etc., etc. Ravaged with internal conflict, he decides to go for a walk. When he returns, he's greeted by a very awake Vivian Reed. Are you angry? Then I didn't tell you I was a planeswalker from the start. No. If you had told me, I wouldn't have believed you anyway. So what brought you here? Where's home? I was curious about your plane. And I... Vivian paused contemplatively. I'm from a place called Scala. It was destroyed not long ago by a planeswalker. A monster named Nicol Bolas. A harsh wind blew through the camp. In the distance, above the breeze, a predator howled hauntingly. Luca looked at Vivian, eyes wide open. Did you? He pointed to the direction of the howling. Did, did you do that? No, you fool. An awkward silence ensued. He was defeated in a great battle not long ago. Many lives were lost, but his existence has been erased from the plains. For a moment, I felt... Whole. I finally got rid of that Joker. I finally got my vengeance. But now I live in contemplation. I live to strike fear in the hearts of those who would abuse their sparks. 
Is is that why you talk like the bat? No, you fool. I'm Vivian Reed, and I'm going back to bed. Luca lay awake, thinking about Vivian's home being destroyed. He wouldn't allow Drana's fate to be the same as Scala's. He wouldn't lose his home. In the morning, the Fellowship of the Ozolith boarded the Clown Car Kitty Express, as she was the only companion that could fly. The other companions were able to keep pace in the underbrush as the Bonders formulated a plan above. When Rolly and I were there last time, we were stopped by a bunch of nightmare beasts. You know, the ones with all the eyes? Adba and Baro agreed they would fight the Guardian Nightmare while Luca flew over the top. Luca can get there the quickest through flight, and I prefer to fight alongside Ziggy. Adba explained as she drew a line in the cat's back fur. You hold back while we set up the blitz. Then you go over the top, straight for the quarter uh, Ozolith. Be prepared to retreat. We don't want this to be the start of someone's tragic backstory. As the nightmares came into view, our nameless flying kitty sat down and the plan was set into motion. We could do that, thought Luca as he watched the Bonders fight. They're almost like my old squad. It's like they've been fighting together forever. Luca almost forgot the plan, enthralled by the beauty of their teamwork. Then he saw his opportunity and spurred on toward the core of the Ozolith. In the distance, the vermilion cut through the sky like a brownish-green knife through whipped cream. Boys, Captain, we got monsters between us and the Ozolith. A whole lot of them. MZ stated, continuing to turn the kaleidoscope. But they seem to be fighting with each other? Well, the general's daughter is footing the bill. How much are you willing to risk? We are going in, but remember, bring me Luca unharmed. Luca arrived at the Ozolith, only to be confronted by a very real and not suspicious at all character. Touchdown. <laughs> Luca did a little chicken dance. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> and then Luca spiked he his did a little, sword on the ball. Spiked the ball, spiked the, the Ozolith, and then did a little chicken dance. <laughs> Everyone was very confused, but this was the victory dance of Jonathan, and no one could say otherwise. I don't want to be a chicken. I don't want chicken dance. Um, okay. Luca arrived at the Ozolith, only to be confronted by a very real and not suspicious at all character. He was suspended in a sea of orange light. This isn't real. The crystal must be projecting this place. Or I'm tripping hella balls. You! I want to know what magic you're using. You ruined my life with it. I simply wanted to see what would happen if the crystals got juiced up to their maximum output. No harm intended, my dear Luca. It's all for science with some fascinating results. Fascinating? Who says that anymore? And how do you know my name? Your monsters are killing people and attempting to destroy my home. My monsters? Oh, dear boy. They are native to your plane. They may as well be your monsters. Oh, we're gonna stop you. <laughs> yes, I figured eventually someone would come a-knocking. So, I, I love this little ring-a-ding so we could have a little chat. Now, tell me, Captain Luca of Dranith, do you know what can fix all this? The shadowy figure asked. Killing you? Luca asked back. <laughs> oh, well, probably, but then this book would be... Way too short. Besides, I have no physical form. I'm just a projection of your imagination. It's not like I'm really here hiding behind any curtains. Now, tell me, Luca, what is it you want? Luca flipped through a rather small Rolodex of his greatest desires, his noble ones, keeping Dranith safe. 
wanting to go home, wanting things to be as they were. Each were dismissed by the mysterious voice. Then Luca became aware. The Ozolith wanted in. It pushed at the edges of his mind. I... I want... I want the strength to take what I want. Good. And that is precisely what I can give you. Unlimited power. Here, take these orange-tinted glasses. Power? Oh, well, I mean, what can it hurt? It's not like Vivian Reed foreshadowed this in the previous chapter. He asked as he reached out for the offered glasses. Meanwhile! The Ozilus pulsed. Ooh-wee! And a subsonic wave rippled through the battlefield, paralyzing the monsters. The companion pets shook off the paralysis, but the nightmares stood frozen in their tracks. Then, an orange bolt cracked from the ozolith and struck one of the companion animals, a spiked badger outlining it in an orange, fiery aura. It was then the Fellowship saw the Vermilion come into view, and the first volley of harpoons were fired into the nightmare battlefield. The spiked badger in the nightmare then charged at the hunters on the Vermilion. It seemed as though they had forgotten all of their survival instincts as they recklessly threw their bodies at the hunters. It was unlike anything the crew had ever seen before. All these creatures with one purpose, to bring down the Vermilion, no matter the cost. Ah, you got one! Falk cheered as Abdo was struck down by a bolt designed for monsters instantly ending their life. His celebration came too soon. There were just too many nightmares and beasts. And then, the realization set upon him that their goal was not to kill the hunters, but to take down the Vermilion. We're pulling out! Emzeb roared, having watched half their crew slain. First, the monsters began smashing the ballistas and stripping the Vermilion of its heavy defenses. Then, like a pile of ever-accruing 90s Beanie Babies, began stacking onto the ship, one by one. Under the intense weight of the collectible creatures, the Vermilion struggled to stay aloft. She may need more than a new coat of paint, thought Falk. One by one, the hunters were slain by the nightmares. Pull up, pull up, open the lift gas lines all the way. But a titanic seropod boarded the skyship, rounding it. Turnic. Um. Superbird. <laughs> Is burning the the skyship. She may need more than a new coat of paint. Thought Falk. One by one, the hunters were slain by the nightmare. Pull up, pull up. Open the lift gas lines all the way. Hermagard, we're being boarded by a titanic serpapard. Somebody shoot that thing. We're being grounded. Who called my mom? The Vermilion was doomed. Don't hurt Jarena. Yelled Luca as he commanded his army. As the Vermilion sank from the sky towards the ground, he sent the cat monster straight for her. Keep her safe, you... you cat thing! Luca came down from the Ozolith once the battle had ended, a static energy surrounding him emitting orange sparks and noisy pops. The Ozolith was running wild with power, and now it is under my control. Luca smirked. That's not what we agreed on! But... Don't you see? This fixes everything. I control the monsters now. What the hell? A bonder said. These are our friends. Why the heck would you want to control your friends? You're sick, dude. You used this power to control the monsters and defeat the hunters, didn't you? Vivian demanded. Luca surveyed the scene. 
nightmares and the spiked badger that had led the charge lay dead. The creatures threw themselves on the hunter's blade without any regard for their own lives. I did what I had to do. Where's your monster, Luca? Or have you become one? The real monster! I... I don't know. It's not too late to stop this! Stop this? Why would I stop this? Don't you see? This power solves everything! We can finally assemble the greatest army ever and defend Dranith! I can finally go home and have naked time! We will not be following you to Dranith. A bonder said. The fellowship ends here. I don't need you all anymore. I just need your monsters. Luca reached towards the Ozolith, which responded with a distant thunder. Suddenly, the companions and their bonders were engulfed in the orange energy, but the companions passed their will saves. Get out of here! Vivian shouted, reaching for her arc bow. Luca, I thought you were a good man, like a good sidekick, but now I see that I was wrong. You're a two-faced clown. She fired an arrow, out of which sprung a barreling elk that subsequently trampled over Luca, knocking the crap out of him. Soon after, a batwing nightmare came to defend Luca, reducing the elk to a dissipating cloud of green energy like a Sailor Moon sequence. Vivian and the Bonders had left. But the nightmare knelt in front of Luca. As it should be. Luca thought. He raised his hand again to summon the full might of the Ozolith. Shortly, all the nightmares that had guarded the Crystal Matrix swarmed around him. My army. He proudly thought. Who's the wizard of Ozolith now, suckers? <laughs> Luca Prism Power! <laughs> <laughs> In the name of the Ozolith, I shall punish you. Yeah, Jarena needs some serious uh, moon crystal action here. Yeah. Ah, Luca, what the hell? <laughs> ah, who saw that coming? That was... Wow, I I didn't see that the coming Jedi at sure all. <laughs> no, Vivian did, but you know, I, I no, don't think Vivian anyone listened. didn't. Vivian thought the exact opposite was going to happen. I mean, we'll just have to see what happens. But in the meantime, we do have this new sponsor segment. Um, oh, wait, no, it's not a new sponsor at all. It's actually an older sponsor with a new twist. Oh, and they sent me this cute little statue of a fairy. That's adorable. Uh, I just, yeah. I'm just going to put this fairy on top of my bookshelf, and it's going to be great. Yeah, statue, I'm sure. Oh, it's so detailed. You have no idea. I wonder who they got to sculpt this. This is crazy. Well, while I'm trying to put up the statue, I guess we should probably play the ad, huh? Yeah. All right. See you in a bit. Have you been injured in an interplanar invasion? Did the former living guild pack fail to protect you and your family from the onslaught of shiny blue Eternals? Have you been the victim of unlicensed disintegration? If so, then Vraska and Sram can get you millions of Xenos and settlements. We're not afraid to take on the powerful and get you every zib you deserve for your pain and suffering. I've taken on the toughest judges and won. Wait, what do you mean, Vraska and Shram? This is my firm. I started it years ago. And who has been bringing in all the clients lately? Whose idea was it to sue Jace for negligence? It's all been me and my keen pirate instincts. You've just ridden on my stylish leather coattails. Anyone could have thought of suing Jace. That guy is literally the definition of negligence. You wouldn't even have a job if it wasn't for me. I am the one who brought you into this firm. Um, 
What? What? Why are your eyes glowing? It's just making sure you were paying attention. It's Raska and Sram. Got that? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, my queen. Uh, as you wish. Uh, Lavinia, can can you make an official note? I told you hiring her was a bad idea, but you never listen to your paralegal, do you? No. No one ever listens to Lavinia. I swear, you're all hopeless. Still, better than working for Jace, though. I'm going to get some coffee and drop these case files off at Nuprov. Am I the only one that really does work here? Like I was saying, the Raska and Thram will extort every possible zib for your suffering. You don't pay until we win. And I always win. Call today to schedule your consultation with our legal professionals. Our offices are in District 10 of Ravnica and Girapur of Keladesh. Just look for the fancy stone gardens. Hey, do you guys think we should have a Falk call? I mean, Luca did just take out the ship. That's pretty destructive, right? How do interplanar phone calls work? I don't uh, know, but my statue just came back to life, and now I have a fairy in my living room, and this is very distressing, and my cats are trying to catch it, and my cats are flying. This is terrible. Um... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm sure your cats will take care of your fairy problem soon. Fun fact, that is a traditional uh, role they play, so, um, yeah. I'm sure it'll be I, I hope so, because this is, ah, getting a little, ah, crazy. Ugh. I have a anyway, notion that- it'll be. <laughs> uh, uh, as soon as Lady Snuffles gets some snot on it, it won't be able to fly anymore, so. Ew, gross. Ah, that's true. Right. Well, You know what uh, else can't fly anymore? It's our vermilion. Oh. Yeah. Holy crap, this story was crazy. Like, we're seeing Luca sort of grow a little bit more into his own. It's not so much that he... I don't know if that's really the right phrasing precisely. What I'm trying to say is, like, he is finally letting his uh, leadership, like, talents sort of expand past his ability to lead men or humans i think now he's like in a position where he's okay also extending that kind of leadership ability to um and like other folks like people I, who I, have companions i struggle yeah. with that one because it's not it's not the same as like where he was working with his squad to keep everybody alive this is, mm. is he has con- complete control this is actually closer to what oko does to garrick yeah oh, oh no story. i meant pre-ozolith sorry pre-ozolith not post-ozolith Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah post-Ozolith, like, no, there's yeah. just some mind <laughs> witchery that, and yeah, we're not okay I think a lot of the strategy was the Bonders and Vivian. They're just like, oh, we're going to be your distraction. You can go for it because you can fly. I think something that he was spearheading, though, because he was like, I feel stuff coming from the Ozolith because that's what my cat feels. But it is kind of sad, though, like the whole time he's still, frankly, in denial about his whole relationship with this cat. Which is super sad. He never sees it as anything other than a tool, despite being able to feel its emotions. Yeah, it's like the true definition of an abusive relationship, right? Yeah. It's that the cat can't get away, even though Luke is very bad for the cat's health. Can we can we give can can we just call her Fluffy like or something? I don't know. Like I feel bad for this cat, and I feel bad that we keep having to say this cat, that cat, the cat, the monster. It needs a name. We can name her the (laughs) the the cat that would be named Fluffy. I'm gonna call her Fluffy. Yeah, Fluffy. Yeah, Fluffy for sure. Full name is the cat that would be called Fluffy. With all the hyphens. 
in between each word. That just sounds like, like an early 2000s Gaia online screen name, honestly. <laughs> I was about to say, it does sound a little bit more like one of those ancient Puritan names, but you know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but it, it is really weird though, right? Because Luca is a mono-red individual, but yet he has absolutely no empathy for for Fluffy. He has no empathy for Fluffy. He only is like focused on what he wants and not at all on the bigger picture or how he's connected to other non-human beings. He's a lot like the Cranko version of Red, where it's very self-absorbed and about my feelings, where I feel like it easily could be red-black or even black in a lot of ways, but... You know, we obviously got the mono-red version of Luca, but I would not be the least bit surprised to see a red-black version of him in the future, because I think that a lot of times shows his character more, is that he has a lot of emotion, but it's all about him, 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 and what he's getting out of it. Yeah, I don't I don't think that Luca has any empathy for anyone. E- even I, Jarena not, yeah. not doesn't even really have much. I was going to say, I, th- I think he views his relationship with Jarena as a savior touchstone now. Like, if I can return to this normalcy, everything will be okay. Instead of thinking about the implications and the uh, consequences of his return for Jarena. Mm-hmm. You know, and I-, I wonder if this is like something that might have been better served with something a little bit longer because then you could kind of explore the depth of the consequence of that. Um, you know, I wonder how much that particular storyline has been handicapped by it being a novella instead of like a full novel or a series of articles. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this is something really interesting we're seeing develop is that Jarena wants to return Luca not to try and get back to where things had been, but she's concerned for safety. She wants to make him safe regardless of the way that spins out in the future. So she's sort of like forward facing on this. Yeah. Whereas Luca's back facing, right? He's he wants to go back to the way things were, whereas Jarena wants to make things well. You know, regardless of the shape of that. At the point where Luca makes his decision here, I, I think it really cements everything because he doesn't choose to use the power to solve the problem. He uses the power to remake all of what Dranith was. You know, is it's not going to be this military thing anymore. It's it's going to be saved by my monsters, and people aren't going to need to fight anymore. And and even then, he's like looking at it as like I want the strength to take over, you know, this whole thing so I can have Jarena back the way it was and never really considers what her feelings are on it. Yeah, it's it's very much a push for control. Like, he wants the strength to control everything because everything has been pushed out of his control. And I, I hate to bring up, like, current events, but I think it's very much, like, something that we see in society nowadays, especially given the current pandemic. Things have been completely pushed out of our control in so many ways. Like, we can't necessarily wear what we want anymore. We can't always uh, go shopping the way we used to. We can't do things the way that we would have before because so many things 
need to be taken into context and be taken into consideration. But you do have a lot of people, and I think Luca is a really good example of this as well within fiction, but also in reality, there are people out there who refuse to believe that this is the new reality, mm-hmm. that this is sort of what we need to do in order to keep ourselves alive, in order to move on and adapt and progress. He- yeah, I think Grace said it very well last week or two weeks ago that uh, Luca is indoctrinated into what he believes. So what he's trying to do is take his current situation and fit it into that indoctrinated belief, because mm-hmm. that's still all Luca really knows. Yeah, he doesn't. And yeah, we're not seeing the growth. We're we're not seeing him break away from that at all. As much as finding ways to lie to himself that he can go back to it. And I think this is like a a interesting way to shape this commentary is when Luca makes a poor decision about how he's going to handle the power of the Ozolith. It is one of the other bonders and their companion and the nightmare beast who suffer for it. Luca never gets hurt in that fight. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because Luca doesn't see these creatures as being worth anything. Like their lives are worthless. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what I mean yeah. is you, you often yeah. get this in reality too. It's people not thinking about the implication beyond their own immediate safety mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at the disadvantage of those who are otherwise unprivileged, right? Like the bonders yeah. by, by definition are unprivileged. They don't yeah. have access to, the wider breadth of those communities that happen in the cities and they are forming their own community and they're starting to build that. But um, from what it sounds like in the novel, again, we don't have access to all of this information. It sounds like those kinds of communities are still building and forming. So they don't have a really solid, like safety net to fall into. And I think that Luca is still suffering from the sudden loss of his. And so instead of trying to build a new safety net with a community that could be his, he is destroying someone else's to try and earn his way back into that old way of thinking. And not only that, he knows what these creatures mean to their bonders. He's seen it. He's talked to them. But he still immediately goes to, if they're not going to use them the way I want, I will use them as tools. Because they are still tools to me, regardless of how the human bonders would f- actually feel about it. Yeah. It comes down, I think, to essentially co-opting and in a lot of ways, like, demeaning this whole new culture, right? Luca has been taught... And refuses to deviate from this belief that anyone who associates with monsters and that monsters are evil, therefore anyone who associates with monsters are evil, and thus they're not on the same level. Like, I never get the the feeling or the impression whenever he talks to any of these bonders that he sees them as equals. I think that he doesn't even know how to relate to them or to bond or, like, see himself even on the same plane, like, of social stratification i i think he thinks that they're almost like subhuman it, it's it's basically just a matter of using someone else's culture co-opting it and uh, essentially warping it into what you believe that culture should be given your ideals it, it's almost like imperialistic in, in some really twisted way and you know it's interesting because luca and general kudro are actually pretty much of the same mindset here. Mm -hmm. The only difference is the general 
only considers humans as worthy tools, where Luca is like, I'm going to use these monsters as tools. But either way, they are both very focused on maintaining, you know, the same stratification of a very strong leadership. And whatever you do in the defense of the people of Dranith is a valid um, goal. Mm-hmm. I think Luca's used to being a golden boy. Like, even if the general didn't necessarily like him, right? Like, he had obviously worked his way up in the structure in such a way that the general begrudgingly accepted him and Jarena's engagement. And I think the loss of that golden boy status, I don't know if he's obsessed with maintaining the status quo in the same way Kudro is. Kudro is very, like, white-aligned in that way, right? Like, things are set in a certain way, and society benefits from that ergo. We are going to maintain that line no matter what. Whereas I feel like Luca is focused on the the impulse, the emotion of what is happening to him. He wants to recapture that golden boy feeling. He wants to always feel like... He is successful. And I think that's where the red comes in. He's focused on the emotion of it rather than the system of it. Um, And I think that's a a weird distinction, but an important one here. At the end of the day, their goals are the same, though. Yeah. I I agree. I want to take a a quick step back here Mm -hmm. because I I also, I'm going to side with Taya here a bit. I also believe that Dranith is is Mardu. We even see it in the the cards when things like Dranith, Stinger, Snare Tactician, those, those cards are red. Um, no, those cards aren't red. Dranistinger is. Dranistinger is, is is red. Oh, Dranistinger is red. Sorry, I thought you were thinking. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it is red. <laughs> but but General Kudro, who is the embodiment, is. He's Orzhov. Um, he's white he's, black. No, yeah. He's white black green. No, no he's Orzhov. He's just white black. He's just white black. We've yeah. had this discussion okay. before. Too. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I you thought really it was Azan. You know what I think it is, Michelle? I think it's because the crystals are green in the art. I think maybe your brain just God wants damn to, it. To, <laughs> like because oftentimes magic art will really heavily feature the colors yeah. of the yeah. card. So I think uh, there's a little bit, but I, you know, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, I was like, nothing about that guy is green. He's just yeah. a giant douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> You're correct. His there's a giant there's a giant green crystal like as a pauldron, and I'm like, I guess for some reason because it's close enough to the converted mana cost, my brain was like, oh okay, he's <laughs> totally absent. <laughs> if this were a point and click my adventure bad. game, you could click the crystal and put a green mana in it and get a secret. <laughs> um, That's true. Um, my bad. Okay, thank you for the correction. Any thoughts so far, Justin? Your your head hurts, so interjecting might yeah. be a little harder. Yeah. But I'm I'm curious of, of some of your thoughts here. There there was one thing that stood out to me in the story, and that was the before the Ozolith incident incident, and then after the Ozolith incident, mm-hmm. because before the Ozolith incident, Luca was having some ambivalence about his level of affection and care for his monster. And after the Ocelot incident, he just totally veered to his starting position, uh, Mm -hmm. his indoctrination, thinking that monsters are only tools, thinking that other people's monsters that they were bonded to are also tools. And so it makes me wonder how much of this transformation and Luca actually becoming a monster is on account of the Ozolith. I, think, uh, oh, I mean, I think that the Ozolith just offered him the opportunity 
to retreat to a place of comfort, both ideologically and emotionally for Luca. Like, I think if the Oslo had interfered, I think that if he was... Maybe if he'd hung out with the Bonders for like a year, that perhaps some of the lessons he would learn would get through his thick skull. Yeah. Like change is scary. Change and progress are terrifying to a lot of people. And the Oslo gave them the opportunity to take the reins, essentially, and say like, hey, here's a silver bullet. You can just take this and you can go back to the way you were. No consequences. There was a lot of discussion in the community about the Osleth controlling Luca, and I don't think that's true at all. It was more, Mm-mm. here's here's a method of power, and here's where you can go with it, which is why I think it, the more fascinating discussion is which planeswalker was he communicating with. And it felt very Oko to yep, me in the yep. fact that it's like, I'm not actually going to do anything. I'm just going to point out, here's a giant source of power. Do what you want with it. It also feels like a Dovin Bond thing to do. Now, I know that technically Dovin Bond is, is dead, but we also don't know where in the timeline this actually fits. And it's Dovin- just a very maniacal, underhanded, well-seated mastermind that like getting a puppet to do something for you that Dovin Bond like really is good at i don't think dovin that was really dovin Singh. dovin Singh was making sure the system was working as intended and then you know cutting out anything that might interfere with the system in this case there's more chaos being introduced into the system and i think that's kind of opposite of dovin's mo I'm sort of, of of two minds of who it may be. My my two my two top picks are um, Oko for the previous state of reasons. I think Oko is a really good contender for this. My other possibility is I do think it's possible that it was also Tezzeret. Uh, and here's why: he spent a long time being uh, Nicobolus's errand boy, mm-hmm. so he would have picked up on a lot. And I think not only that, I I think there is some level of like, oh, I left behind this thing to talk to you and i i would like to see a return to that tezzeret that more clever sort of manipulative tezzeret rather than the really super aggro tezzeret we got during the uh book which shall not be named um yeah but i i think more important because i, I think i think whatever planeswalker it was while it can be important because like obviously oko has an ability to touch on people's mind and while he may not necessarily like directly control people he he um he well can he can compel- just not in this particular yeah not in this but he, <laughs> he's, he's he's shown that he he's also equally happy to just compel people right like just give him a nudge right like you can just take control of someone but like that's not always fun but i think more important than any of that i think what it is is we see luca L- luca is basically the quintessential Someone who has been privileged in some way in their life, right? And, and, you know, Luca grew, you know, Luca had a lot of advantages. He was from a city. He's in a position of power. He was engaged to, you know, one of the most the powerful people daughter. in his, you know, political structure, the general's daughter, uh, practically a princess, quote unquote. And when confronted with something that may give him enough power to, start to help dismantle some of that system, dismantle some of the oppression that happens within that system, Mm -hmm. which is a choice that all of us get confronted with every day, I feel like. Instead of going, I am going to do my best to unlearn these behaviors and dismantle it, because that's a thing you have to unlearn every day. Luca goes, I am going to return to the place of comfort, 
and I am going to try and embrace this and return and fix that system to benefit me further. I couldn't help but think about Star Wars. Like This is very much like the Sith way of life. <laughs> Right. You, you were the some... chosen one. <laughs> no, for reals. Like, no. Yeah, no. He is right. as whiny as Anakin. Too. You have, the, have, the, high have <laughs> the high ground, Luca. From my position, the Sith are good and the Jedi are evil. Oh, my legs! <laughs> you have this this character that is is has this power. Whether whether you think about Anakin Skywalker or even like somebody like Kylo Ren, who. Their their power is significant, but they have this kind of emotional tie that almost like weakens their own self confidence and makes them suggestible. Mm-hmm. Grace couldn't change my mind here. This is actually a very Tezzeret kind of. I, I move. did like that. Yeah. I, I I never thought about Tezzeret, but it is like so Tezzeret, but it it's also just Emperor Palpatine, of just like I, here yeah. here's the power to get what you want. I'm gonna throw a third name in because. I, it's not that I don't think Oko and Tezzeret are, are great. I think they're really great contenders. It was Jace. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> what if this was actually a, basically like the equivalent of a phone recording from Nicol Bolas? <laughs> like we know, I know that he's stuck on the meditation plane and I know that it's like blah, but we all know that he's going to come back. However, one thing that really kind of struck me about the way the Ozolith was talking to Luca was the very subtle manipulation of things. Yeah. And yes, Oko can be very manipulative, but I think Oko likes to sow chaos to undermine things, whereas Nicobolas, in this like very typical draconic way, likes to sow chaos just to see the world burn. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. this, this we- is very Oko in that the it's not watching the world burn, he's specifically trying to undermine Dranith, and that's what was happening even before That's true. Luca came on board. I'm still stuck on Bola's voicemail recording. Like, <laughs> Thank you for calling Nickel yeah, Bolas. I, I, like, I mean, leave a message that, after that the tone. Like, oh, this, this is Nickel <laughs> Boris. I can't come to phone right now. <laughs> so leave, I, leave message and I will destroy you later. I don't <laughs> see anything that would benefit Bolas in this situation. Right. Like everything Bolas did was for a a reason that pushed mm-hmm. his plan forward. And with Oko, the reason I don't think it's Oko is because mm-hmm. Oko would sit there and watch. He wouldn't leave this voice message trap behind. I mean, he could be. He could totally be watching, though. Well, the thing, though, is that <laughs> I, every I, breath think Nicol, you I think take, that if Nicol Bolas brought down... Take, I'll be watching you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the thing, though, about Nicol Bolas is that he despises humans, right? And I think he would actually love to bring down something like Draneth. I, I think that he would absolutely want to tear that down. I do have a third name I was thinking of. I have literally no way to it's Tibble. Necessarily justify it. In, <laughs> yes, how did you know? Uh, so, um, but someone mentioning Draconic, I and here's my very thin justification, and I, I do not think it is this, but I think it could be compelling if it was. They mentioned it's specifically for a scientific curiosity. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it might be Ugin. No. Because, and, and like I said, that, I don't think it is, but I, I don't, because... You know, and we played it up for laughs. There is less, like, pushing of Luca by this 
entity than so much as like, yeah, I set up an experiment and like, I guess if you want to take the power, like that's yours. I was just curious what would happen. Well, Grace, there was a lot of pushing by the entity because Luca had a very short Rolodex of noble things that he had wanted. And then the entity shot those down one by one by one, like almost leading him to want the strength to take what he wants. You're, you're right. But it also makes me think about, and I could do a whole discussion, and maybe this might be something for after the Aquarius story. Ugin is, is one of the most fascinating and infuriating characters to me in Magic because the solution to everything is to stick it in a box and forget <laughs> about it and leave it for later. Because that worked so well for the Eldrazi. And then he did it to Bolas, like... Come on, get a life plan, man. Anyway. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, I like the idea of Tezzeret. I still think this this sort of manipulation is very much what we saw from like Kate Elliott's stories mm-hmm. of Bolas. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. But also, hey, could be a whole new Planeswalker and we're going to get orange mana in the next set. Oh, oh gosh. God. Don't start the conspiracy <laughs> oh, no. theories, Michelle. Why did you speak that into existence? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and Carrie's gonna, ha- Carrie's gonna have a field day with that one magic confirms orange mana for next set I, I always love a good Vorthos conspiracy theory it's like Carrie, <laughs> Carrie you can pick that one up and run with it <laughs> Carrie pick that one up to say it's it's like anti-scurvy or I don't know maybe because everyone's stocking up on vitamin C because of the pandemic I have no idea it actually just turns <laughs> out that Dranith is actually an Eldrazi starter camp oh my god so the whole oh thing is all god. put together by uh, Emrakul, and it's just is slowly like getting Who things ready Elspeth? to get their their tentacles. Yeah. So if you if you combine Kudra and Jarena's name, and then you extrapolate those names into numbers, and then if you add the numbers all together, <laughs> you get fifteen mana, which is exactly what <laughs> <laughs> the right mana they need to cast Emrakul. I'm dying. I ca- I'm, I'm dying, Squirtle. <laughs> Which is also the correct number of squirrels. Now, squirrels also are on this plane. <laughs> and 15 squirrels can take down Emrakul. And if you take red, black, and white, and you mix them for long enough, they become gray, which is the color of colorless mana, which is the kind of mana that you need for artifacts. And... and- Orange is a complementary color to gray. <laughs> hey, hey, old artifacts were orangish brown, so I mean it, it all fits. You know so what it rhymes? All fits. You know what rhymes with orange? Emrakul. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how this set leads into em- the Zendikar Rising. <laughs> we did it, everybody. We did, we did it. it. We did it. All right, we can everybody end the podcast now. <laughs> podcast is over. We've done it. We don't need any, we don't need to do anything more. It was so great. Thank you we, so we, much, we Kurt Kingdom. We haven't tied Merit Lodge in yet. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, Jarena is Merit Lodge. <laughs> Obviously, Jarena is Merit. <laughs> actually, if you take cats in this, some cats are actually like different kinds of breeds, and and then you could even say they're kind of like many different breeds. Like a, anyway, yeah, Merit Lodge. So Merit Merit Lodge is a nightmare cat confirmed. <laughs> And then Narset just strolled through for a cameo. Yeah. <laughs> Narset and the Wanderer are just sort of wandering, just walking through like, okay, bye. I like to think that Narset is like planes hopping following the Wanderer because she wants to like have a conversation with the Wanderer, but they keep getting like cut off midway as they're talking. And Narset's like, oh, well, I 
God damn it, that was getting interesting. She has to start focusing so much on the conversation because Narset uses so many big words that she loses her grasp on her own physical form on the plane and just rips her yeah. head. <laughs> it's like every time the tea finishes steeping, it, it's like the Wanderer's already <laughs> gone. Right, because correct me if I'm wrong, the Wanderer is the one that she doesn't actually planeswalk as much as she, uh, she has out. to she has to hold her position on a plane. Yeah. 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 I, I know what happened in the novel, but I still think one of the funniest parts of that novel is just like the water being like, punch me punch to like, yeah. one of the strongest <laughs> planeswalkers and like physically strongest planeswalkers in existence. And Gideon is like, What? And she's like, just <laughs> do it. And he's like, I So the Wanderer and Narset are having tea and the Wanderer is starting to get really sweaty because she's trying to focus on ma- maintaining her presence on the plane while also keeping up with Narset's conversation. So she's getting all like puffy faced and sweaty and then out of nowhere she just screams, just punch me in the face, Narset. And Narset is like, oh, what? She's like, just do it. <laughs> And then she, like, blips out. I like to think that the Wanderer came to Aquaria because she she felt like she got punched by a big enough badger uh-huh. that she could then produce a really big punch of her own. In, in defense <laughs> and of the an exile creature. In this, in this fictional situation we've cooked up, in the defense of the Wanderer, I would also get flustered and distracted talking to Narset, so, like... I mean, I would, too. Cute, it's like, ah, cute and smart, it's like, ah. Uh, uh, and then just lose my focus and be forced to planes walk away. Yeah, like, I, I'm not gonna I lie, I've mastered the smile and nod time. technique, so, like, I, I assume talking to Narset, I would just be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I wouldn't understand a word that she was saying. <laughs> so that's what that is, Bob. Oh, I'm a master at it, you'll get it all the time. <laughs> you think I just got a good poker face, really, I just don't know. <laughs> so, I'm gonna put a pin in this for next mm-hmm. week. But yeah. I would like to discuss, I'm sorry to be a downer and bring no. it back to the subject, but uh, <laughs> Luca treats animals as tools. Mm-hmm. And I I like to contrast this with Garrick, actually, uh, when he got corrupted. Mm-hmm. Corrupted, I guess, post-normal Garrick, pre-current Garrick. But would love to talk about relationships with animals in, in those two planeswalkers because they... They're very interesting. It's always fun to talk about contrasting things. Well, I mean, post-corruption, right? Post his run-in with Liliana, he he actually like loses his whole connection to being a hunter and being one with nature and just becomes this mindless, curse-spreading beast. Yep. Essentially, everything like around him people. just dies. Darth Garrick, uh, as we've seen your photos recently. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. But yeah, no, we should definitely chat about that next week because I, I know that we're, we're, we're running a little bit long, but it's cool. Yeah, I, I would like to stick a pin in that discussion. Also, I'm trying to think if we missed any any major beats from the... Oh, you know what I think is it is interesting um, here uh, in one like final parting thought I'd like to kind of stick a pin in for next week too is Luca did send the cat to save... Jarena, and so I think I think that's where I had decided, like, okay, uh, Luca is still fully culpable for his actions. I don't mm-hmm. think this is necessarily like Luca being controlled by the Ozolith, because I feel like if it was, he wouldn't have felt compelled to save Jarena in that matter. Yeah. He's kind of like fused with the Ozolith, sort of in a weird way. Like he's the Ozoluca. He still has, as you say, like complete control over what he's doing and what his priorities are. Yeah. Now that he can he, store counters and move them around, he doesn't care what happens to the creatures those counters are on. And he cares about naked time. 
All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Thank you again to Card Kingdom for being an amazing sponsor. We love you so very much. Uh, definitely do get your Aquarius stuff in. Um, it is shipping, I believe, next week. So huzzah. And also thank you to our patrons on Patreon for being so great and so wonderful and for giving us so many wonderful counters of support. They are literally our lifelink to keep this podcast going. So love you. Love I'm you so soul much. bonded with all of our patrons, every single yeah. one. Yes. And thank you to our editor, Yosh, for putting up with our nonsense. Yes. <laughs> you are so patient with us, Yosh. Wait, we wait, wait, wait. So, 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 so it, when Bob blocks... With a ferocious pup, uh-huh. does that does that rawr, make him rawr, rawr, rawr. Any, any worse than than Luca trying to take control of the other Bonders' companions? Ooh, I uh, recently played Popper, and uh, I sacrificed the ferocious pup to mutual <gasps> destruction. <laughs> <laughs> it felt I, so good. <laughs> no. It, it, it's still better than cat oven. I hate cat oven so much. That makes me so sad. Meow. I I can't play cat oven. <laughs> um, but to end on a higher note, I think the fairy is now dead and my cats have killed it. So huzzah! Huzzah! <laughs> with, with that, we will see you next time. I've been one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Justin. I'm Bob. I'm Taya. I'm Grace. And we and we'll out. see you next week. Next time. Bye.
On a slightly different tangent, does anyone know anyone who works as like an animal physiologist or a vet or a vet technician? Um, uh, Stevie was a vet tech earlier in our life. I probably know someone. Why? Um, I was thinking once we're done with this book, it could be really funny to like do a ranking of uh, like the most physiologically improbable creatures in Ikoria because I was taking a closer look at Pouncing Shore Shark the other day and I was thinking to myself like wait where are the pecs? Oh my god! It's a serpent part. It's a serpent part. Oh my god! Oh my god! Enthralled by the beauty of their teamwork then he saw his hole open Ooh, and spur- <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> How did he Insert. manage to do that? Oh my god, it's a sports turn. <laughs> oh my god. I was I reading it, I was reading it, and I knew someone was going to do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, should we just take that whole thing from the start again? And do we yes. want to leave the hole open, or do we want to use a different term? I, I did appreciate the, the football terminology there. I, and then Justin took it in a whole nother direction. Yeah, no, I, I didn't even think about the other direction at all. And I, mean, I, I just... I, I knew what the intention was, but I knew exactly where it was going to go. I was thinking about it, I was like, wait, Scala's already gone. I mean, you know, tomato, tomato. They both rhyme, kind of. Mm. Not really. <laughs> That's some postmodern poetry rhyming you got going on there. Senna um, Pascala. Roses are Draneth. Violets are Scala. It's like a performative art installation by Vivian Reed where it's like, like Marina Abramovic, you just sort of sit there, <laughs> you cross from her, you stare deeply into her eyes and experience the death of Scala again and again. <laughs> Oh dear. I think we we broke our narrator. I, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I can do this. Just give me two, two shakes without a goof. I think my face is going to get stuck like this. 